You are now listening to The Big Data View. This is our podcast where we explore the trends, technology, and talented people making big data a big deal. Be sure to stay tuned to the end of our show for a special message from our team. This is uh, Corey Minton from the Big Data Beer team. We are at Spark Summit, Spark and AI Summit. I keep messing the AI part up. I'm joined by my friend Kyle Prince. Hello. How you doing, brother? Uh, and we are excited to have uh, two executives from a very interesting company called Parallel M. And uh, Sivan is uh, CEO and co-founder, and Nisha is CTO and co-founder. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. Excellent. So tell me a little bit about yourselves. Where are you from? What are you, how did you end up as the, the founders of a tech company? Uh, well, I'm from Israel, okay. and um, you know I've been uh, working at a lot of so- in software since uh, 2000, okay. and uh, working at uh, large companies, medium companies, and at some point came in time to uh, work in a smaller company and take everything on full responsibility. Excellent. So, so where's home for you here in San Fran? Or uh, we, I lived here for many years, but actually we moved back. Uh, to Israel a couple years ago. Oh, did you? Okay. Yeah. I landed here this morning. Oh, oh wow. Good. Can I yeah. tell? You can't tell. You're doing great. Okay. That's incredible. You look much better than I do after a long flight like that. <laughs> look like a truck ran over me. Nisha, well, how about yourself? Um, so I basically, I mean, I've been in kind of the software space. Uh, I actually moved out here to the Bay Area to study at Berkeley and kind of, you know, never, you know, left. Yeah. And um, I've done various kinds of, you know, software and distributed systems, large companies, small companies. This yeah. is my small company rotation. Yeah, absolutely. You well, will. And uh, I'm based here. I live in the South Bay. Excellent. So walking around, if you attend any of the sessions, half the company seem to be uh, uh, nurtured in some way, shape, or form by Berkeley grads. So that's that's a pretty impressive organization you've got there. So tell me a little bit about Parallel M. What is the what is the main offering that Parallel M is bringing to market, and and why is it so critical? So Parallel M came to be because we believe that uh, there's a big AI impediment in the market. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are many many projects, many data scientists, very very high business expectations to deliver some kind of competitive change or operational efficiency based on the usage of machine learning. However. Only a sliver of those actually end up making it into production, mm-hmm. literally, and it's and it's not growing anywhere near pace to satisfy the needed expectation. Uh, in my previous company, I was a business executive, and we had 13 data scientists, and they would come to me and say, "Hey, uh, we finished everything," and I would say, "Well, but nothing's. I'm not, I'm not getting the benefit here," yep. and uh, and I think this is similar to most of the customers that we see uh, today, and and we um, Nisha and I worked a lot together to identify that. Um, uh, the big impediment we believe is part of partly be, or mainly because there's no best practice in the industry to move from academics to economics, mm-hmm. to move from the data science side to actual production and delivering uh, actual value. Yeah. And this entails many things. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of them would be collaboration between different constituencies in the company. Mm-hmm. When you hire data scientists, you cannot and should not be expecting them, the, one of the most re- expensive resources in the company, to be actually delivering 24-7 operation services. Right. There's, there's other teams for that that should be brought to the table uh, and work together. In the world of software, it, it, it evolved over time to come to a point where there's DevOps, which now is clear for everybody. Yeah. So we're mm-hmm. coining the term MLOps. MLOps okay. is a sense of a, essentially a category okay. uh, of the, the, the kind of the bridge to bringing machine learning into uh, production using um, collaboration between the teams as MLOps. Okay, so collaboration between teams. So when we think about the the data science and the machine learning process, right, it, you, you have lots of tools that are in the data collection and prep space, and then you have the tools that are good for analyzing the frameworks for, man, you know, for, for actually 
running some query against the data. And then you have these, there's this, this space of like ML development tools where people are using, you know, how do you develop the algorithms? It, smell, it sounds like you guys have, you're, you're going kind of that next stage, which is I need to collaborate on that, kind of that early parts of the cycle. But when you say you're, they're not getting into production, is it because it's hard to move a model into production or is it that it's not, it's just not germane to the people who've built the model that they don't even know how to go get into production? I guess it's a combination of everything you said, and okay. you're right. We're, we're looking, uh, be, when we started this, we looked beyond the curve, mm -hmm. as in most people, most of our customers that we talk to, they really think serially. Mm -hmm. First, I'll identify the problem. Right. Then I'll find the data set. Then I'll hire a data scientist. Then I'll hire a data engineer. Yep. And recently, there's new roles. There's a citizen data engineer. Now I heard of a data wrangler. Yeah. It's actually a cool kind of cowboy. Uh, I can't wait to see the, the stickers that we get for data wranglers. Exactly. And, and, and we think that th that's all good. Mm -hmm. But when, you, when, you really, when the rubber needs to eventually hit the road, these people actually don't know what it means to take into consideration resource constraints, network, um, uh, you know, timing, distribution, security, governance, all those things which, which are mandatory when you're running a, an actual business. Yeah. Uh, these guys, it's not that they're not smart enough. They're the smartest people in the room, but they've never had to or never wanted to take care of this. Now, as a company, you should not expect your data scientists to be running your operations. That, that shouldn't be where you want Seems to spend your resources. Mm -hmm. yeah. And, and from a, from a, what I meant when I said around the curve is we, we, we saw this coming. Um, to a point where the, the serial progression of the thinking of our customers is going to this point. And even the delta between last year and this year here, n last year when we were talking about it, nobody knew what operationalization actually meant. No. And now it's like front and center and people are coming to us and, and talking to us about it all the time. Yeah, it's weird because a lot of times when we've attended some of these shows and even we talk to a lot of the vendors that are helping in that that toolkit area for data scientists where they're helping to develop the models, they, it almost seems like the conversations for deployment always stop at, yeah, but we, we publish a Python script or we have a RESTful API. Is that, is that the, like, do you pick up from there and, and do you run those, do you, do you, does your platform run the, the API framework better? Is it a governance platform? Help me understand technically like where the handoff is or where that collaboration is with the tools for the data science teams. Sure. So, um, so basically, kind of, we come in, you know, after an organization has done experimentation okay. with algorithms. And so, if you think of the focus, I mean, usually people start with a pile of data, right? And then they believe that data has some value within it. They experiment and they get some initial evidence that there's insight and they know how to extract the insight. So, and a lot of the tools that you're talking about are they play in that space and they're you know, and that's where they add value. We come in when you have you know something that you believe is you know, likely to generate insights and you want it to, first of all, impact your production, you know, business and, you know, during and also do that, you know, continuously, you know, over a lifetime of your production business. So that's where, so we pick up, you know, algorithms, we pick up models that have been trained by tools of such, sometimes scripts and so forth. But, uh, and we allow them to, you know, be, uh, you know, do production inference and so forth. But we also allow you to retrain and such in production because one-time training doesn't really work in most of the Should scenarios. Be that more thing, data yeah. keeps changing. You need to make your models better. Your competitors have found a better model. <laughs> you need to do better than them now, mm -hmm. you know, or you've gotten more data now than you had two years ago when the first experiments occurred. So it is a cyclic thing. Okay. The you know the experimentation is something that you know we come in right after you've done some. But after that, we manage the whole cycle. Okay. So the data scientist team they they start to use ParallelM to uh, like you said, once they've gotten something useful, they get a model, they start to deploy it. How, do you, how does somebody deploy ParallelM in that context? Is it something where you're, you're taking that script and it's running on ParallelM in the cloud? Is it something they run internally? 
How does it? What does it mean to run ParallelM for an organization? So, so basically, first of all, we, we're a software, mm -hmm. and we're a software that operates in the control path, and we provide a runtime okay. for production. But we don't actually run the models. We allow you to run the models in any environment that you have, and that could be anything from a standalone Python program mm -hmm. to running it on Spark, for example, or TensorFlow. And the reason that this is a practical necessity is because this space is evolving to be heterogeneous. Mm -hmm. And fun, and one of its heterogeneity is actually one of its strengths, is that there are so many algorithms out there, you know, different classes of machine learning have different engines that are good for them. And what we found with customers is they are obviously looking to solve a problem. They're not really looking to standardize on one yeah. set of software. So you want them to be able to run on whatever they need today mm -hmm. and then whatever they need tomorrow. So what we do is we are a runtime that we, we interface with these engines and we manage those engines in production so that you can run your programs. Excellent. So it... So what did people do before ParallelM was there? Was it, was it as you said before, data scientists were just hoping that it got into production? Were there, are there other tools that were maybe less or maybe open sourcey that weren't cutting the, you know, cutting it yet for enterprises? What, what, what tools have you, are you seeing that ParallelM is replacing, or is it just a completely new category? Well, we're seeing uh, first, you know, we didn't uh, invent the world in. Companies like Google and Amazon have been deploying machine learning in production. How, having said that, now that it's becoming uh, mandatory for all any advanced company to be uh, to be in, getting involved in this, we literally still today we see people that are using uh, we call it toothpaste, bubblegum, and Excel. Uh, they they schedule their biweekly training of their models in their Outlook calendars uh, using uh, you know Google Sheets to manage models that are running or not. This is completely non-scalable. But the, I think the the point is that. Um, and I think the sweetest spot is that today you have 50 or 500 uh, data scientists working in your organization. Uh, it's amazing how many companies we're seeing in the last couple of months alone that are only getting to the point where they have two or three services that have been deployed in production. Mm -hmm. and, and, the, and if you look, look at it from a business standpoint, the expectation after paying so many salaries, so many technologies from the business side to see some results, yeah. as soon as the business senses that there, there are two or three uh, services in production, we hear consistently... We want 100 services by the end of the year. <laughs> and those people and those people like, like deer in the headlights are saying, oh, hang on. The way we did these two, toothpaste, bubblegum, and Excel, is not going to be the way we're, that's going to take us to 100. Gotcha. And they turn around and look. And, and today we're, uh, you know, one of, the, one of the shops that's in town that are uh, uh, the only ones that, um, that are really focused specifically on this problem of scaling your machine learning services in production. So, so it's interesting because when you, when you talk about that conversation that happens at the customer, you're... You're bringing together two groups, as you said before, data science groups and then the operations teams that maybe weren't, <laughs> weren't talking very well up front. If they did, maybe they'd have a better process. Is that challenging and just from your, from, your, from your engagement with customers to, to actually get those teams working together and selecting a platform that, that everybody can be happy with? It's a good question. And uh, the thing is, if, if, you go, if we go typically only to data scientists, they're not really sure what to do with it. If you go only to operations who have not yet been brought into the party, yeah. they're not sure they need yet another system. These guys are usually 400% you know, over what they can do anyway. Uh, it's usually when we get to the person who owns this, like uh, either the evangelist or head of digital transformation or really a solution architect that needs to look at things six to 12 months into the future, how they're supposed to look. Yeah. They come back and say, oh my God, we have to have something like this. Yeah. And they bring those people around the table. And, and uh, something we, we launched a large bank up in uh, Canada a couple of months ago and it was great to see how we came to do a workshop and, uh, and they brought IT and the architect and uh, the head of data science, governance people, business analysts, all of them for a whole day uh, in one room. Brilliant. And, and after we kind of went through the workshop, it, it, we realized 
they really never sat around and had this discussion before together as a group yeah. uh, to tackle this. And it was the evangelists that brought them together. And, uh, and then they started asking each other and us questions because we were kind of the subject matter expert having done this uh, multiple times. And, and we actually, it was great to see how we can support all their questions and really uh, give them that understanding. And I think the best compliment we came out of from that day was that, oh, you're not a management software. You're the way to do this, <laughs> as in the way to do uh, yeah. production machine learning, which is a great compliment as I see it. That's very cool. So I, I love that, the bringing together of the teams. It's, it's interesting to me, even in large enterprises and midsize and small, how little of that cross-team communication actually exists in, in real life. So you've got to have in, in this space, in this exciting big data machine learning space, there's got to be just a ton of integrations and partnerships that are important for you in order for your platform to be successful. What are some of the most like strategic partnerships you've had to develop or strategic integrations that have been really important to your success? Yeah, so I can uh, I can definitely speak to the integrations. So I think you know one of the points is kind of really about how MLOps works with DevOps, right? Because you know when we say MLOps, we're referring to the specific challenges of bringing machine learning into production, and we are not re looking to replace a customer's DevOps, you know, tool chain. And so there are a number of places where we are we being very specific to machine learning, you know, add things, but there are also places where we call you know collaborate very much with existing you know software life cycles because that's really really what the customer is trying to put into practice. So a good example of integration is with Git and GitHub, mm -hmm. for example. Customers keep code there. Yeah. And so we work, you know, completely seamlessly with that. Um, another good example is obviously the integrations with these engines. Like we are not looking to you know, run, build an analytic engine to compete with Spark. Okay. You know, we want to make sure that anything that anybody finds that's running on Spark can be put into production. Yeah, if you like those us. libraries, make People it easy. People like those yeah. libraries, go for it. If you tweak them, that's fine. If you wrote your own from scratch, because that's that's important because, you know, that the, the, one of the reasons why this space is maturing so fast is because of that innovation. Yeah. And customers want to, you know, benefit from that. So, so that's another big area. Yep. A third one is essentially the the kind of the infrastructure of the data center. You know, the security infrastructure, the authentication, the resource management, mm -hmm. all of which is, you know, people don't want to change the way they run their data centers just because they want they're running machine learning. They just want to put the machine learning into production and have it be a good citizen yeah. within their practices. So, those are some of the areas where we've integrated. So, so it's funny you talk about. Um Operations. We we attended a sh uh, talk earlier. Kubernetes is clearly a uh, you know as an open source technology, and then as it's being packaged and commercialized in a variety of places, it seems like from a deployment perspective, something that would have to be critical to your team. Container-based deployments are very you know. Are there? Is it? I mean, so yeah, uh, I've been in the big data space for I don't know five six years, and I've watched it where we went from this. Um, you know, early stage kind of big data, and when 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 we just when organizations really were just playing around with Hadoop as just like let's tinker with it, it was always this: we need no orchestration; it needs to be bare metal, buy commodity servers. And I feel like we've done this whole switch the other direction now, to where like half the talks here are about how do we containerize things. That seems like an interesting model, but for you guys, that has to complicate things because if now if everything's in containers, that's more things that I have to orchestrate. It's more microservices is that is it challenging or is it does that represent opportunity for you so um a couple of things i think you're absolutely right it's the reality right that's the way the world is going um i think it's actually actually makes the machine learning deployments more streamlined because one thing is that for as like one way to example is if you decided to build your machine learning prediction as one tiny little piece of code in the bowels of an enormous app it's 
impossible to manage it. Yeah. It's impossible for us or anyone else to manage it. But if it's a microservice, then it's a well-identified thing, yeah. can be upgraded separately, can be managed separately. So all of those structural trends actually make the MLOps problem technically more feasible. Also enables solutions like ours to come in and say, we focus really on solving that problem and we're not trying to manage your parent business logic. Yeah. You know, but you've cleanly, you know, yeah. uh, modularized what you're doing so that you know, your machine learning can be managed. So I think it's a win-win, actually. Excellent. So, so I'm curious from a, from a, like kind of what's next for you guys, what, what you and the team are looking at, both technically and from a, from a go-to-market and company perspective, what are some of the, the trends that maybe you've heard from this show or that you're just watching that, you know, people in and around this space, around machine learning and operationalizing said machine learning capabilities, what are the macro trends that you guys are really thinking are interesting in the next 12 to 24 months? I mean, look even at the name of the show, right? Yeah. It used to be the Spark Summit. Now it's Spark and AI. Correct. So everyone is pushing forward and trying to move up the stack. Uh, from our perspective, you know, two, three, five years ago, as you mentioned, the big thing was uh, scarcity of the data scientist. Correct. And then the biggest problem was the data, the data is so dirty. It's, it's not that all these have gone away, but they've, by order of magnitude, become much better, right? The, the platforms and the technologies and the time that elapsed have brought the industry further and further. Right. And uh, to the point about us, you know, looking ar around the curve, it's it's really fun to see that now it's uh, the value level of the, or the, the the value surfacing in the value chain uh, is coming to the point where actually the spark meets the AI and actually delivers some value to the business and that's that's what we're excited about and what we um, we're looking forward to. Yeah, I was stunned. You want to add something? I think I think that makes sense. I think it's really you know the the, the problem of MLOps is multifaceted because machine learning is a very different kind of app. And so I think these last, you know, last year we've worked out a lot of the nuts and bolts and so forth. And we've, you know, we're continuing to add into specifically understanding those applications and making it easier to diagnose them, easier to understand how they're behaving, which is an art form on its own. So, yeah. no, so technically sure. that's what we're focusing on. Yeah. So I'm curious, though, because I know they, the, the AI is in the, in the title, but is, do you guys really think AI is here? Have we, I mean, are we really doing AI in, its, in, in the form that, that I guess maybe the, the naysayers are afraid we're doing it yet, or do you think we're just, we're getting there? I heard Michael Jordan this morning saying that, don't, don't kid yourself, and nothing that we're doing is AI. We're only the beginning of you know, machine learning plus. So yeah. uh, I think we both subscribe more to that, and that's why we called it MLOps and not AI, and in our material and everything, we talk about machine learning because we want to be you know, where the rubber actually hits the road. We, as an industry, are deploying machine learning mm -hmm. and starting to see the value of that. Yeah. I think it'll evolve into whatever the definition of AI actually yeah. ends up being. But uh, but it's, I think it, what's exciting for me, I think also for Nisha, is to propel this industry forward, to take it really uh, uh, to the next level, to, to start seeing some value from all this talk. Yeah, one of the things I saw yesterday in the keynotes was that they uh, they put up the put up this metric that said like less than 1% of the Fortune 200 or Fortune 2000 co companies are actually recognizing real measurable value from machine learning and AI today. And when they put up the list, the thing that I felt was comical, which actually I think separates this conference from many others, was all the names up there were like the names of all the companies who are actually here presenting. <laughs> so it was <laughs> Apple and Uber and Google and all those Facebook companies. So obviously those organizations are interesting and they're ahead and they're maybe developing some of their own. But what, what's like the best, like the best next step for enterprises who are who are struggling with trying to achieve value from machine learning, at a macro level? Like, what are you advising? Obviously, MLOps can help, but what are some of those things that you're you're trying to help enterprises understand how to move from ideation stage? How does this? How to develop a plan to actually implementing these things? 
I think, you know, as I said earlier, we see continuously people thinking very serially. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't, re- we, we very early on, we decided not to be a vertical solution. People were pushing us, you got to do a vertical solution for banking. And very early on, we decided that if, if we look to the horizon, as solutions mature, they're going to be horizontal. Mm-hmm. As in, we want to supply something across the industry to help right. to operationalize that. So, Again, people are thinking serially. Uh, the more people start thinking more, a little bit more parallel, or mm-hmm. where is this going down, uh, and the quicker they'll get somewhere in terms of understanding value, the quicker they'll be, be able to iterate, uh, fail, correct, course correct, understand what's right for their business. Mm-hmm. I don't think we have the answer to the businesses, yeah. but we have the answer to, hey, try it. Try, start seeing what happens, and uh, your competitors are doing it, so you better uh, yeah. do it too. <laughs> Digital transformation is often driven by fear of what the, not only the traditional competitors, but it's the people. Nature, yeah. yeah, exactly. Fear is a great motivator. Well, I appreciate you guys spending some time with us. We, we're interested to, to see where Parallelm goes. What's, uh, what's next for you guys on the roadmap in terms of development? What are you really focused on developing against for your product and your offering next? Sure. So, um, so I think you know, right now, you know, um, as Ivan said, you know, we have, you know, we've created in the first version of our product. We, you know, we're working with a lot of customers to, you know, do, you know, in terms of understanding what they need. Fundamentally, I mean, this space, as you mentioned, is very still fairly early. Uh, what we are really focused on is making sure that we can create a good production life cycle for really the most solid basic algorithms that are the ones that are going to be in production. That's one of the you know examples of whether AI is here or not. Yeah. You know, depending on who you ask about AI, it's either here or not here. Yeah. If it's basic, solid stuff that's you know very likely to work, it is here. Yeah. If it is you know something very, very fancy, no, it's not here yet. Yeah. So, so I think the space will naturally expand. The places we're looking at are really the foundational problems that have to be solved when you, you know, in terms of in the areas of diagnostics and governance and so forth, where the problem is real, but the existing ways to do it for standard applications don't hold. So a simple example is, you know, a machine learning program can misbehave without showing any outward signs of misbehavior. The process can be up and running, no issues in CPU utilization, no errors, but its predictions are bad. Mm-hmm. So that's a very, you know, it's a simple mistake, very difficult to solve. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And those are the kinds of problems that are going to materialize, and, yeah. and those are the things we work on. Yeah, actually, I found that the security talk that uh, Don Song gave yesterday, talking about some of the ways that people are maliciously attacking models, I think is just a, it's a space that I honestly, and, I, and maybe I'm not that bright of a guy, so I hadn't thought about that, but when she started bringing that to the surface, I mean, it really like melted my brain thinking about how sensitive it is that as we automate things, right, which is, you know, AI at this point is a lot about automation, I think, in, in my opinion, but as we automate so much, we have to be mindful of it. We have to be versioning. We have to be retraining. We have to understand that. So I, I can imagine that's a very exciting... in the system, right? So if something starts, good... if there's a negative trend, you got to be able to either stop it or roll back or yeah. any any corrective action yeah, to absolutely. avoid risk to the business. And also understand what happens, you know. So like the, the city of New York, for example, uh, recently instituted a committee to understand algorithm fairness. And so that's an interesting one because it shows how ordinary people are worried. Yeah. They're, and, they're, and they're not worried about algorithms that change lives. They're worried about algorithms that allocate budgets and algorithms that decide who's going to get promoted or who's going to get parole and stuff yeah. like that. And so there's, you know, these they're are worried the, about the biases. Right? They're worried about the biases. So these are real problems that have to you know, be countered before AI can really grow. Yeah. These are the kinds of problems that, you know. Oh, that's awesome. Well, I want to ask just a side note question before we move, move on. S- starting the company, based in the Bay, living in Israel, starting a, a global company. What's that like to be a, an executive in a in a Silicon Valley startup? Like, what's your the, your favorite thing about 
getting up every morning and, and get, being able to build your own business in this business climate? I think, you know, the, the possibility and opportunity is endless. Mm -hmm. it's, it's so much a matter of execution. And, um, you know, from here, I'm flying to Toronto, then flying to London. We're trying to expand into additional markets. Mm -hmm. How do you balance and juggle all that together and having the right product for the right market, attacking it, timing? Yeah. It's just, uh, it's like a chess game on, you know, 17 different boards uh, at the same time. So, uh It's, it's got to be fun. Pepper in the jet lag and everything, it's, it's all fun. <laughs> <laughs> jet lag and espresso-fueled conversation, right? Mm -hmm. How about you? What, what's your favorite thing about your, your, your current uh, opportunity? So, so one of the things I like about startups, and, and I think this is true of any, everywhere, not just in the Valley, is that you can solve difficult new problems but do it in a very fast-turning kind of way like if you are in research for, and I came from a classical research you know that's what you know so I, I got my doctorate I did the usual thing and so if you're doing research you're solving problems that are hard but you're the answer will take years to reach the world and if you're doing traditional development you basically are solving immediate problems but they're not usually the hardest problems out there so one of the nice things about doing a startup in particularly a field like this is you are solving real cutting-edge problems for which there are no solutions yeah. but you're doing it in a way that if you solve it you can reach someone tomorrow yeah that's what i like about it that's you know? very cool yeah well, we appreciate you spending time with us uh the folks that are interested in learning more about parallelm i'm guessing company website's probably a great place to start for demos and that kind of stuff parallelm.com okay and then are you guys attending any other uh big data shows here in the next uh you know call it three six months that are that are interesting where people could find out more we're in shows all the time like i said i'm in ai summit of toronto okay. next week and ai summit london Excellent. following week and we're, we're we're in all the big shows Awesome. Well, very cool. We have webinars coming up as well. Do you? Okay, yeah, excellent. We'll put some links to those in our show Absolutely. notes. That's perfect. Well, we appreciate spending time with us. Parallelm sounds like a great uh, platform for really marrying how do we take machine learning and operationalize it in a professional enterprise class way. And I think uh, obviously solving some very interesting problems for those organizations looking to really finally achieve value from machine learning and AI. So I want to shift gears and have a little fun. We've learned a lot from our guests about big data, but now it's time to get a bit personal in a segment we like to call Rapid Fire. Pew, pew. Let's do this. All right, what year will Skynet go online? The Skynet? Skynet from Terminator. Okay. <laughs> I know. That's when, you know? The, uh, that's when the machines start taking over and they start building machines to kill us. Yeah. Never. 2050. Never. 2050. 2050. All right. Are you sure it's not already there? See, that's, I'm in that school of thought. That's yes. where I'm at. Yes. <laughs> Me as well. Uh, what is the great last book that you read? Uh, the Hard Things About Hard Things. The Hard Things? Ben thing. Horvitz. Okay. Great. Uh, Persepolis Rising from the Expanse. Okay. Awesome. What genre of music are you currently rocking out on? Um, Coldplay. Coldplay. Oh, good choice. Yeah. Nisha? I have a nine-year-old, so Miley Cyrus. Oh, um, there you go. Yeah. yeah. Poor nine-year-old. Turning into a little lady. That's tough. <laughs> uh, what piece of technology is currently making your life worse? Worse. worse. So what one is uh, behaving against you? you know, Alexa the... and Siri in my kitchen at the <laughs> yes. same time. Oh. <laughs> oh, have you got them talking to each other yet? Yes, and I clearly have way too much time on my hands. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> wow. <laughs> All right. Uh, what is your biggest money pit right now? Personal money pit. We yes. recognize running Personal. a company as yes. 
Probably the money pit, but personal money pit. I have four daughters. Oh pick God. shoes. Pick, yeah. you know, whatever you want. Pick. Literally anything. Yeah. Everything. <laughs> Having yeah. four, four daughters. I get that. Yes. Nish? I don't know, but I'm sure it's related to my daughter. <laughs> Kids are the overarching number one answer that we get. That's yeah, totally true. Yeah, that's the uh, number one most popular answer. Use that as advice, buddy. Oh, I'd, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're enjoying the... Uh, Dual income, no kid life. Yeah, Dinks, yeah, yeah it's yeah. best place. Yeah, all right. Uh, are you, obviously you're traveling here in the next little bit. Are you taking any personal vacations to anywhere interesting or cool? No, no, no? nothing so will just, work for the man. Oh, yeah. What's the most interesting place you're traveling in the near future for work? You know, I'm I'm here, Israel, London, Canada, all over the U.S. Yeah, nothing too nothing uh, too exotic. Okay. I feel like a better answer for him would be what boring city are you going yeah, to? You know. Which, <laughs> What's the least interesting city? <laughs> Cleveland, Ohio. I don't know. Nisha, how about you? Going anywhere fun? So I'm going to Rome next week. Rome? Oh, wow. That's I just great. came back from there. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, my wife and I did uh, two weeks in Italy. Neat. And we, I flew back home Friday evening, and then Monday morning flew back out to San Francisco. So it's uh, Nashville, Tennessee. So Neat. I'm working through a little bit of jet lag myself. <laughs> but yeah, so it, uh, I understand your pain. Uh, what TV show are you currently watching? I watched uh, Designated Survivor. Yeah. See that? Yeah, we got sucked into that one uh, first season. Yeah, it's like the continuation of 24. That's what I thought it smelled like whenever I saw yeah. the ads for it. I'm like, it's, I like 24, so we've got it on the old DVR ready, queued up, ready to go. Yeah, it's great. How about you, Nisha? What are you watching these days? So I'm actually kind of between TV shows. I exhausted Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and now I'm looking for something new. Okay. Yeah. I will say, we've plugged in many times, I'm a big fan of Westworld. That show, especially in, mm-hmm. in the AI context, is just one of those that just makes your brain hurt and feel awesome simultaneously yeah yeah that's a uh, that one in stranger things seems to pop up quite yeah, a bit as number, well number one well hey thank you all so much for spending time savannah and nisha it was great to chat with you uh is there a way where besides the website where would we find you guys and gals on uh on the social media are you on twitter on linkedin what's your favorite platform yeah, linkedin linkedin i'm also on linkedin yeah excellent well thanks so much for spending time with us safe travels home and enjoy the rest of uh, the spark and ai summit thank, thank you very much. much thanks for your time thank thank you. You. Thanks for listening to the Big Data Beard Podcast. As a reminder, we're a partner for the Disney Data Analytics Conference taking place in Orlando, Florida, August 28th and 29th. And for being a great listener of our show, we're offering you a chance to save $400 off your pass to this magical conference using our promo code DATABEARD-2018 during registration. Check out the links in our show notes. Make it super easy take advantage of this exclusive offer. Thanks for listening.